Nice to be back at uh, Avondale Memorial Church again. Uh, it's five years and a couple of months since I was here last time. Some of you may remember the 50th anniversary of Adventist Aviation that we celebrated here back in 2014. And I was here in May, I think, of that year. I was just reflecting this morning that it was probably 30 years before that, about the time I graduated, that I was in Avondale Memorial Church, the time before that. So who knows when I'll be back again, but it is nice to be here with you today. Uh, greetings to my cousins, Jenny and Judy. Uh, Judy rang last night or the night before and talked to my wife and apologized for not being here today. Uh, she broke her knee or ankle or something during the week and I guess is watching, and to all the other people who are watching, be blessed as we share the Word of God today. And thank you very much, uh, girls, for sharing that reading with us this morning. Um, I'm going to talk about three stories from the Gospels this morning. Uh, they may seem quite disjointed from each other, but I hope my little conclusion at the end brings these three different stories together. And the story that you read, girls, is from the second story, okay? So we will come to what you read for us this morning from John's Gospel. Uh, I grew up in Bundaberg, and it's a nice warm place to live. Uh, coming back today to here was a warm greeting because I met a former, uh, con my conference president, I met my master's uh, study colleague, I met uh, my friend John, uh, Ross Goldstone, whose father was one of the significant church members of the first church that I pastored in New Zealand. Uh, who else did I run into today? Um, oh yes, Pastor Tolhurst, who was my lecturer at college back in the 70s, which gives you some idea as to just how young I am in response to the question that somebody asked how old the preacher was. Just a young fellow, John. A little bit younger than John, but John's just a young fellow as well, so that just makes me a babe in arms, almost. But yes, grew up in Bundaberg, the home of Bundaberg rum and Bundaberg ginger beer. Most of you know nothing about the first, but something about the second. It's a nice time of the year when they bring out the spiced Bundaberg ginger beer, do you agree? But growing up in Bundaberg, one of the things that stands out in my mind from my childhood no longer there unless you go to Monrepo where the turtle rookery is and you'll discover one of these rock fences that still exists at that spot. But as I grew up as a small boy in Bundaberg, beside every cane field and every dairy farm was a stone fence. And having grown up with that picture of the Kanakas taking the stones from the sugarcane fields and building those stone fences always led me to ask the question and make the comment, stupid, stupid Jewish farmer. Why leave the stones in the paddock and plant seeds in the stones? Because Jesus said that the seed that fell on the stones sprung up quickly. But as soon as the heat of summer came along. As soon as the heat of summer came along. The newly growing wheat shriveled 
and died. It was much more recently that I began to understand that I was looking at the story not through the eyes of Jesus. And hence the title of my message this morning, Seeing with the Eyes of Jesus. And I hope as we explore these three stories this morning and we come to the conclusion that I hope to draw, that we'll begin to see more and more with the eyes of Jesus than we do with our own human eyes. And thank you, John, for reminding us the way in which Jesus looks at all of us. He doesn't see us for who we are. Filthy, unclean, needing a wash. He sees us through the lens of Calvary and sees us all as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And as I listened to your story this morning, John, I was challenged myself to try and put more and more into my own life that I look at everybody else from that perspective. Whereas I often look at people and think about how stupid their decision or why didn't they do this or why don't they stand up for what's right or why did they do this? And so the message spoke to me this morning, John, not just the grace that Jesus sees in me, because of the cross, but the challenge that I see other people as Jesus sees them, and I treat them as Jesus does. You want to take your record out, if you have one, and go to page 10. Because on page 10 of this week's record, and I guess it's coincidental or providential, whichever aspect of faith you want to put into your own heart and mind this morning, You've got the diagram which actually points out what Jesus is driving at in the parable that I criticized the farmer so severely about this morning. For I have made the point that a stupid farmer would only plant seeds where there were rocks. Growing up with that experience myself of wise farmers pulling the rocks and making fences. I guess the wiser farmers these days don't want to have a fence that's a barrier because they want to bring their sugar cane and their, straw, and their tomatoes and their uh, sweet potatoes right up to the boundary fence or the boundary line. And if you have a fence, you have to turn your tractor around meters inside. So now they drive onto the road to turn the tractor around and put the plow down on the fence line where the fence used to be. But what's the point that Jesus wants us to take from this parable? as he talked about the planting of seeds and the growing of the kingdom of God. You know this little diagram there on page 10? It's one of the images that we use in our discipleship ministries team as we begin to share how we make a multiplying movement of Adventist believers across the Pacific. We notice that it has a number of components to it. And the article that Denison writes is worthwhile reading about the aspects of preparing the soil and this Jewish farmer failed to prepare the soil well. Sowed very broadly, cultivated, and then harvested. But the point that Jesus makes in this story, as he shares it with us in Mark chapter 4, is not so much the fields, not so much the sowing, but the outcome that he expects from the, showing of the, the sowing of the word of God into people's lives. 
he actually criticizes the disciples because they don't understand what he is talking about. And I take that criticism for myself, having criticized this Jewish farmer so severely for wasting seeds in the rocky soil. But he says, these stories are about the kingdom of God in verse 11. You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. I use these parables for everything I say to the outsiders. So that the scripture might be fulfilled. What you see, what I do, they will see what I do, but they will not learn anything. They will hear what I say, but they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. But at the end of this little paragraph, he then points out the real meaning of this parable that he shares with the disciples then and a parable that he shares with us today. Verse 20 of Mark chapter 4. And the seed that fell on good ground represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 60, sorry, 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. Here is Jesus' principle of multiplication. When he looks at you, and when he looks at me, people who have good soil into which the seed of the gospel has been planted, what does he see? Not you, not me, sitting alone in Avondale Memorial Church. But he sees beyond us to what might be. And what does he describe as what might be? A multiplication of 30, 60, even 100 times the you and the me who is sitting there. If only you and I could see what Jesus sees. Not you, not me, but 30, 60, even 100 other people sitting there beside you. Story number one. Story number two takes us across to John chapter four and the scripture reading that the girls read to us today. You know this story very, very well. Jesus is about halfway through his ministry now. He spent most of this first 20 or so months of his ministry uh, working in Judea, it's called by the scholars his early Judean ministry. Uh, the three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, breeze over or leave this gap in their story of the life of Jesus. And if it wasn't for uh, John's gospel and the insights that Ellen White, as she records in Desire of Ages, the early ministry of Jesus, we had known nothing about this year to year and a half of his ministry in Judea. But during this time of ministry in Judea, he begins to gather a large number of disciples, so many disciples that he had more disciples than John the Baptist. And how many disciples did John the Baptist have? As you read in the Gospels, it was the whole of Jerusalem and Judea came out to the Jordan where he was preaching and teaching and baptizing. 
And this caused some disgust because Jesus now has more disciples than John the Baptist and the opposition that the Jewish leaders had towards John the Baptist was now being directed towards Jesus. And so Jesus decides to leave Jerusalem and Judea, the hot spot of these religious zealots, and move back to, Jeru at, back to Galilee, his home territory, away from this persecution and trouble. And he does succeed in peace and quiet up there for a period of time. But you know the, the story very well that he says in verse 4 of John chapter 4 that he has to go through where? Samaria. Did he have to go through Samaria? This morning I had to make a choice. Do I come from Yarrawonga Park to Kurrumbong through Morissette or through Dora Creek? I had to come, but I had a choice. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have gone the most comfortable route, which was the route up beside the Jordan River. Nice cool water to dip your feet into when they get hot. Nice trees to sit under in the heat of the day to rest. The other route he could have taken was the Via Maria, Mariana, the, the coastal route that would have had the sea breezes blowing in off the Mediterranean Sea. But because of the time he spent in prayer with his father, his father said to Jesus, you have a divine appointment. You are meeting a woman. You'll meet her at Jacob's well by the village Sica. And so as they stirred in the morning, Jesus said to his disciples, we're going to Galilee today. And they said, good, it's nice to be going home. For well, most of the disciples were Galileans and going home to their family, to their, to their common life, would have been appealing to them until he said, we are going through Samaria. And suddenly the joy and excitement in their hearts and on their faces vanished as they said, no, not Samaria. As they travel through Samaria, they arrive at Jacob's well in the heat of the day, maybe out of kindness to Jesus, maybe as the rabbi out of respect, they choose to go into the village of Sychar to buy food from the locals for their lunch. While Jesus waits at the well. Jesus knows. From the prayer and conversation that he had with, the, with his father that something special was going to happen this day. He has a conversation with the lady, invites her to follow him, invites her to go and fish for other disciples and sends her into the village. During this, the disciples return and are puzzled to find Jesus talking to the woman. And when they have this thinking in their mind, several things are happening. 
But Jesus has the little passage we shared for our scripture. Jesus says to the disciples, you look out and you see not a single candidate for the kingdom of God. You see these Samaritans as pagans who've adulterated the Jewish faith and mixed it up. You see these people as people who don't know the right place to worship. Why aren't they in Jerusalem worshiping there? Why on this mountain of Gerizim? They see a village full of sinners. But what does Jesus see? What did the scripture tell us this morning that Jesus saw? My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and finishing his work. I want you to wake up. I want you to look around. I want you to see this Samaritan village. What do you see? You see a pack of pagans. But I see a village ripe to be harvested for the kingdom of God. Jesus had been at the well. The, villagers, the, the disciples had gone into the village. They had spoken with them. They had bought food from them. They had interacted with them. But still they saw a pagan village. Jesus shares the story of the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that you are speaking to, you would ask him for living water. And he would give you that living water. And he did. Not just to the woman, but to the whole village. For as our scripture said at the end, and many believed in Jesus because the woman had said he told me everything I ever did if only the disciples had seen with the eyes of Jesus their buying food in the village would have been a different experience for them than buying food they would have been sharing the good news of the Messiah. And believers in that village would have become believers in Jesus Christ. If only we could see with the eyes of Jesus, we might treat people differently in Curranbong, in Morisset, in Yarrawonga Park. The second story. Let's come to story number three. Story number three is found in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 brings us to within the last six to eight months of Jesus' life. His ministry is coming to an end. He knows that his time on this earth will shortly end. He's begun to multiply the number of leaders who would lead his movement, this exploding Christian movement in the next uh, century. He has sent out the 12 
and given them instructions as to how they are to work. To work in the way that Jesus himself had worked to cultivate disciple making and movement building. And now, six to eight months before his crucifixion, it tells in Luke chapter 10 that he now chooses 70 or 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. I want you to listen very carefully as I read his instructions, and I want you to put your hand up if you would enroll in this activity. Would you volunteer for the task that Jesus sets out for them? Listen carefully. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. Now go, and remember I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop and greet anyone on the way. Would you sign up for that job? You're going to be a lamb. I'm going to send you out there where the wolves are going to eat you and tear you to pieces. Put your hand up if you want that job. Well, for $120,000 a year, I'd take that on. Who would agree? Oh, hang on. There's no money involved in this. When you go, don't take your wallet or your credit card, or your iPhone with Apple Pay, go with nothing. Don't take any spare clothes. You'll be walking, but don't take a spare pair of sandals. Go with nothing. Some of you are smiling, saying, yeah, that's the job for me. Where do I sign, Lee? Or where you're saying, no way, never. But let's just suppose that some of you were bold enough and motivated enough by the gospel of Jesus Christ that you'd say, yes, Jesus says there is 30, 60, 100 people out there that you can wing to him, who will sit beside you in Avondale Memorial Church as candidates in God's kingdom. Some of you may be motivated enough by that to go. What would you pray for? If you're Lee Rice, you'd be praying, God, make certain that those wolves have eaten lots of goats before I get there so that when I get there, their stomachs are so full and they're resting under a Acadia tree like a lion having just devoured bullock so that as I go, I'm safe and protected. Is that what your, your prayer would be? Would it be like mine? It's interesting, that's not what Jesus says to pray for. Jesus says that 30, that 60, that 100 times yourself 
of people for the kingdom of God are out there. What does he say again? Six months before his harvest, before his death, the harvest is what? As he said to the disciples, you went into that village and you couldn't see a single person for the kingdom of God. But I see in this village already harvesting, ripe, prepared by the Spirit of God or in some other way. Your task, disciples, was to harvest that village for the kingdom of God. But you didn't see them. You just saw pagan village. Samaritans who had their theology mixed up, worshipping in the wrong place. But I saw the harvest already ripe, not in four months' time, but now ready to be gathered in. So pray. Not that God's Spirit would soften people's hearts. Not that God would keep you safe from the wolves. Pray for more harvesters who would go out to gather in those into his kingdom his instructions are very clear in Luke chapter 10 and verses 8 and following well I guess we really need to start in verse 5 whenever you enter someone's home first say may God's peace be on this house if those who live there are peaceful and the blessing will stand if they are not the blessing will return to you don't move around from home to home. Stay at one place, eating and drinking whatever they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. Oh yes, there was going to be some pay, not in the wallet that you took with you, but from the people that you harvest into the kingdom of God, their appreciation, their thanks, their joy, and the joy that that will give to you and to me as we share the gospel with other people. Verse 8, if you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. We could spend another hour teasing out those last words, but since my wife gave me very strict instructions, Lee, keep it short. And for those of you who know Raglan Marks, you'll know that his daughter is like her father. I must obey. If you want to know more about those verses, then go across to the ABC. I'm not a salesman, but go across to the ABC and ask them for the little book. If you can eat, cost you less than a cup of coffee, or a cup of Milo, or a cup of Echo, or Quick Brew, if you are old enough to remember Quick Brew, go across and buy the book and read it. We'll give you some excellent insights as to how you can see this community the way Jesus sees this community, ripe to be harvested because God's Spirit is already at work. And there could be 30, 60, even 100 times people sitting beside you in your kingdom.